A pastor of a small church was surprised by a question he heard at a monthly deacons meeting. Pastor, the man said, when are you going to fix the roof? Well, the pastor who was telling me that story had construction experience, and he was capable of fixing a roof, but so were other men in the church. The implication, though, was that the other men also had jobs, and the pastor had more time to to do that work. Now, I've never been accused of uh, being able to fix a roof. Uh, nor have I ever been asked to do it. In fact, uh, I, I just uh, I appreciate so much the, uh, the, the teamwork that we all have together of, of recognizing the, where the, the pastoral role really is. This is not, uh, what, that, that story of that church is not designed to alert us to a problem we have here. I find people are even overly cautious of my time and uh, often are apologizing for interrupting. No, no, this is all part of the work of ministry. Uh, no apology needed. But the attitude that that deacon was expressing uh, portrays a misconception about the role of pastors and deacons, but a larger misconception about the role of ministry itself. Really, what is gospel ministry? How many people does that involve? How many people should be participating? Are there any restrictions on the recipients of gospel ministry? Well, here are a few other misconceptions that are in circulation among people. One would say that the ministry actually describes a separate group of people distinct from regular people. There's the clergy, and there's the laity. That's terminology we don't use much here. But it reflects a, a distinction that has stuck in the minds of many people. Here's another one. The real focus of gospel ministry is leading other people to Christ. That one's a little more subtle, but that's a misconception as well. Although the error of those statements may seem obvious, in subtle ways they still can influence our thinking. And Paul is striving to correct such wrong thinking in our passage today in Romans 15. And he does so by describing his own ministry. Now, Paul's ministry has long since been done. And so that to have him describe his ministry for us, you might wonder, how's that help us? That's done, and that's him, and we're not him. He's not here suggesting that we are uh, to continue to do his ministry. That was distinctive. That was unique. What he wants us to get from this passage is that, yes, he's describing his own, but his own is 
a pattern. A pattern that actually all God's people are to follow. His particular role was unique, but his role is also instructive. In fact, the ministry, gospel ministry, has no restrictions. There are no restrictions on who does gospel ministry. You don't have to be qualified any more than knowing Christ the Savior. Furthermore, there are no restrictions on who is the recipient of gospel ministry. No exceptions to that either. Gospel ministry includes everyone. All of God's people are to be engaged in gospel ministry. And every person you ever come in contact with, anyone you ever come to this week, can be a recipient of gospel ministry. Gospel ministry that you provide as a child of God. I'll say that another way. All God's people have a gospel ministry assignment that includes everybody that you come in contact with. That's a lot of alls and everybody's in there. Uh, Let's see how Paul says that in this passage. Uh, First, he, he addresses one aspect of gospel ministry, and it's one that when we call it gospel ministry, it's one that we would tend to overlook because we tend to look at gospel ministry as essentially trying to lead somebody else to Christ. It's presenting the gospel, the plan of salvation, to somebody who's never trusted Christ as Savior. But that's not how God's Word uses gospel ministry. Gospel, the gospel, is not so restricted. Gospel ministry then, first of all, in verses 14 through 16, edifies those who are saved. The gospel is not just the plan of salvation. It's the whole program of God. The gospel is what enables us to be participants in that program. And that long-term program culminating in the second coming of Christ and that future kingdom. The gospel's an essential part of that. God's people need that ministry desperately. Our success in God's plan depends on it. So who should be engaged in that kind of gospel ministry that edifies others? Verse 14 tells us there aren't any exceptions there among God's people. All God's people are equipped to serve, equipped to participate in gospel ministry. Verse 14, he says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Paul says he's satisfied. Actually, his terminology is a little stronger than that. He's persuaded. He's convinced that this is, 
what he says in this verse reflects reality. It's a reality, though, that he hasn't actually witnessed himself. Because as he told us in the very first chapter of this book, he's never been to Rome. There is a group of believers there, a thriving church, and Paul has not had a direct hand in in establishing or strengthening that church until he wrote uh, this letter. He does know some of the people there that he's encountered elsewhere in the empire, and that's now they're in, they're in Rome. So how can Paul say that I'm convinced all these uh, characteristics, that you, you, you share them all? Here's how he's convinced. Because what he says in verse 14 is true of all God's people. Sounds like he must be exaggerating, doesn't it? I'm, I'm satisfied that you yourselves, this is very personal, this is them, this is us, are full of goodness. Well, we don't often think of ourselves quite in uh, such lofty terms. Full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. This isn't Paul guessing. This is Paul's, this is actually God's assessment of his own people. It's God's assessment of you if you know Christ as Savior. Now you might object to that. Wait a minute. Full of goodness? Oh, you know, I still struggle with a lot of things. Oh, Paul knows that too. He struggled still. He's still a human being. Full of goodness doesn't then necessarily mean, well, it it doesn't mean, it can't mean that they have all the fruit of the Spirit in its fully ripened form. Goodness, in fact, is one of the fruit of the Spirit. But it would mean that you have every aspect of, of the good fruit that the Spirit is growing. The Spirit doesn't grow his fruit in the life of a believer one category at a time. Let's work on that one. When that one's fully developed, then we'll go on to the next one. Now, they're all there. It's like a, it's like a, a, a baby in the womb. Uh, a baby develops in the womb, not by one hand, and then a little later another hand shows up. All the parts are there, and they're all growing together. You've got all the fruit of the Spirit. You've got all the aspects that God wants to bring to completion in your life. And in that sense, you've not been shortchanged. You've got them all. He's not left you out. Well, how can you be full of all knowledge? Uh, If that was true, why are we having somebody preach this morning? Someone who himself needed to study this passage of Scripture in order to share what I have come up with, what I have learned, what I've discerned from this passage. And why do you still have more to know? 
How does that square with being full, uh, filled with all knowledge? To be filled with knowledge means it's all accessible. You've read the Bible. There isn't anything else. You've exposed yourself to the whole thing. We're not holding out on you here. Uh, you, you get that portion of God's word. Well, then we'll, 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 give, we'll share with you another one. If you've got a Bible in your hand right now, you've got everything that you need to know. Now, we still need to know it better. We need to understand it better. But there's a complete package, and you've got it. So it includes how you live. How you live describing that goodness. It also describes what you know. You are growing in all of those areas. And on the basis of that is why he can say, the end of verse 14, uh, you've not only made progress, and there's, there's more to go, but you've made progress, but you are already equipped for gospel ministry. You are already equipped to help others. Paul says you are able to teach one another, to instruct one another. That instruction means other believers can benefit from what you share from God's Word. Yes, you as well. And it's not just limited, this word translated here, able to instruct, excuse me, to instruct one another, isn't limited just to telling them what's true. It also includes exhorting them to obey. Both of them expressed in this one term. You are able. You're not able because of anything inherent in yourself. You are able because God enables you. There's no exception to that. You are competent to do this. God has made you competent because God has included you as among those who should be engaged in gospel ministry. You can edify fellow believers. Paul then goes on in verses 15 and 16 to explain then why he's writing this book. If these things are true, and this balances out verse 14, that, uh, yes, you are equipped to serve, but you still must continue to grow. He says, on some points, I have written to you, and he's describing the book of Romans here. I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace of God, uh, grace uh, given me by God. Now, Paul says, on some points, I've been very bold He's probably referring to those sections that emphasize more of the exhortations. They, they show up throughout the book, as we've seen, but they're really concentrated in chapters 12 through 15. That section we just finished last week uh, in chapter 15. 
lots of exhortations here. Mostly truth in the first part of the book, mostly commands about everyday life in this part. And Paul is acknowledging that, yeah, I've been pretty bold in telling you what to do. What he's doing there is setting the pattern for gospel ministry among ourselves. We must not hesitate to be bold when you see there is a need. Someone needs to hear a, an exhortation that there may, it might be you that God wants to be bold enough to give that exhortation. To love a fellow believer enough to say, I, I just want to encourage you to move forward in this direction, whatever that might be, and identify that. Paul is setting the pattern here. But he's also letting us know that God uses the scriptures to do so. The very scripture that you hold in your possession. That's what you use for edifying God's people. Uh, he says, I have written to you by way of reminder. Now, let's not give the, the people in that church in Rome too much credit. Does Paul mean to say that all that he has written in this book, they already knew that? And for them, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, thanks, Paul, but uh, we, we got it. Uh, as we've been going through it, as many times as we individually may have read this book ourselves, there have been things that we've encountered that, wow, yeah, I haven't seen that from that uh, perspective before. We've been learning as we go through Romans. Well, so did the people there as well. When they got this book, they, they had seen nothing like it. Uh, this, this really stands apart from uh, so many other passages in God's word for its, condens uh, its, uh, its condensed uh, uh, presentation of these particular truths. Paul's point, though, by using the word reminder, is that what he has written here is all part of this bigger package. He's not here conveying new truth in the sense of God's going to continue to add more things to us. When we've got it written down, that truth is complete. We possess the whole thing, even though we can come to appreciate it more and put it into practice more effectively. Verse 16 completes that sentence by saying, this grace that God gave wasn't just to write boldly <clears throat> to, uh, and to write inspired scripture. The bigger picture for Paul is God's grace designated him a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Well, here's another instance where Paul is describing his own particular role, and it was particular. Out of all of the apostles, he's the only one designated as the apostle to the Gentiles. Although 
there is no real compartmentalization going on here. Apostle to the Gentiles, but every new place Paul went, he first went to the Jews and, and says that's the right pattern. Jews first, then the Gentiles. So he's including the Jews here, but he has a particular emphasis in his ministry for Gentiles. But what he says about his ministry applies to all of us and our ministry, our individual role to be a minister of Christ Jesus, a servant of Christ, and to realize that this is a priestly service. We are all engaged in the goal of accomplishing the gospel of God in the lives of each other. This mutual edification that we talk about so much. So that the offering, again, Paul's focus on his own ministry, primarily his is the offering of the Gentiles. We can more generalize that, the offering of God's people. The people sitting around you right now, the believers that you know, are an offering that we are all together presenting to God. And an offering to God has got to be holy, set apart for his honor, acceptable as it is sanctified by the Holy Spirit. That is, as you look around, you see other believers, the right assessment is, yeah, boy, they're they're making good progress, but along with me, they also need more sanctification. They need to shed more of the, what is left over of the world and left over of sin. They need to grow, and I get to have a role in that. Furthermore, they get to have a role in my life. This is all mutual. There's no segregation here. These are the people responsible to do this to the rest. No, we are all responsible to help each other. And furthermore, we are all equipped to do that. There is no room for false humility here. A claim to humility that says, oh, I can't do that. If you know Christ as Savior, that is a false humility. God says you can God says, wherever you are in the spectrum of spiritual maturity, you are already able to help others. No false humility allowed here. There's no room to to, uh, get out of this responsibility. But on the other side, there is also no room here for dismissive pride. Dismissive pride that would say, I don't think I need that. I don't need that kind of input from other people. Because God says you do. God says you need the input of regular believers. 
if you dare to restrict access to your spiritual growth only to those that have special training, that's a dismissive pride. God has no room for that. God says all his people are equipped to serve, and all his people need to continue to grow. Besides many other passages, this is one of those that helps to form the basis for our discussion format in our adult Bible fellowship. Remind you of the opportunity to sign up for that that will begin in just a couple of weeks. If you haven't done so already, if you'd like to be a part of that, a big part of the goal of of our adult Bible fellowship uh, during our Sunday school time is to give an opportunity for that kind of interaction, of, of giving insight about the passage of Scripture we studied that Sunday morning, of exhorting one another to uh, greater obedience. It is also the basis, then, for our building believers, uh, our Sunday evening program, whether here at church or in one of our home groups. The idea is uh, that we bring people together in a format that, that... that provides opportunity to do the very thing that this passage says we need to have. We need an outlet to have this kind of input in the lives of others, and we need an opportunity for them to have this kind of input into our lives. It's God's plan. And it's an essential part of, uh, of spiritual growth. Now, I would acknowledge that aspect of ministry is challenging. It's daunting to realize I have a responsibility to everybody. Not as a pastor, there's another layer of responsibility, but just as a believer, I have a responsibility for everybody else. And so do you. But there's another aspect of ministry And we find this challenging as well. Verses 17 to 21, gospel ministry evangelizes those who are lost. It's the same Bible that provides the material, whether the person is a believer or not. And here in these uh, in verses 17 to 19, Paul describes what he's been doing in striving to fulfill this aspect of gospel ministry. And so doing, he tells us that God supplies the grace to serve. If you're wondering how you can do this, God's ready to supply your grace, the grace you need as well. Verse 17, he says, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. That makes us pause. Wait a minute. Is it right to be proud of anything? Well, it is right to be proud of Christ. 
in Christ Jesus is the qualifier here that makes this not only legitimate, but the right perspective to have about gospel ministry. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. He makes that even clearer in verse 18. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished. There's the big part. That gets the emphasis through me. See that? See how it's the right proportion? I, I'm the tool that he has used. But who actually did this work? That's Christ. The Savior performs the work. Paul describes that in some detail there when he says, first of all, at the end of verse 18, by word and deed. By word. God uses what we say to promote gospel ministry. But then he adds in also by deed. It also involves and is closely connected. The effectiveness of a gospel ministry is closely connected to how we live. You see, unsaved people need to both see the gospel in action, to look at your life and, and, to, and to, uh, to marvel. How do you do that? It's Christ. Christ is, has changed my life, and he's still changing me. But see, just that visual testimony is not enough. It also, also has to be in word. Both of them are crucial. And both of them God uses to bring unsaved people, Paul's word here is, to obedience. Obedience is the real goal here, not just so they know, but so that they respond to the gospel, to obey the call to trust Christ as Savior, to obey the call to do everything that Christ has commanded The Savior does that work. Verse 19, the Spirit provides the power, the power to us to be useful tools in his hands. And so, for again, for Paul in particular, that power looked like signs and wonders. Paul was an apostle. As an apostle, the Holy Spirit empowered him to do some miraculous things. That's reality in the first century. Not every believer had that power. But for those that 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 was part of their individual assignment, like Paul, Peter, and others, uh, it included those signs and wonders establishing the reality of the gospel in the world at that time. All part of Paul's apostolic gifts. But more particularly, he says, it's by the power of the Spirit. There's the broader picture. Whether Paul's apostolic gifts or the very gifts that you have, where does that come from? It's the Holy Spirit. You do not have to do this in your own strength. Don't even try. The Holy Spirit will enable you. 
He continues in verse 19, again describing his particular role. He says, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum. You got a nice clear picture of Bible geography on that point? Illyricum. We don't even have any record of Paul ever being in Illyricum. Where is Illyricum anyway? Well, it's the if Paul has already been there, and he's at least been right next door, and according to this, he was, he's already completed the, the extending of the gospel into this territory. It's what we call today Yugoslavia, Bosnia, uh, Croatia, all of that particular region. Uh, Albania would all be a part of ancient Illyricum. It's on the uh, eastern shore of the Aegean Sea, so across the sea from, uh, uh, from Italy. It's, uh, it's like a little bit west of Greece. Uh, we have much in the book of Acts about Paul being in Greece. Well, apparently he made his way all the way to Illyricum. And uh, then he says something, uh, something that's just staggering. I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. What? Everybody in that whole territory, Jerusalem, all across the eastern half and the central part of the Roman Empire, they've all heard the gospel? No, no, that's not what he's saying, because that wasn't Paul's assignment. His assignment was to bring the gospel to those areas to establish churches and then move on to the next one. And it's a very particular role for him to say, I have fulfilled the gospel of Christ means I have done my job in that part of the world. Wouldn't you love to be able to say that at the end of your life? I have fulfilled the gospel. I have done what God assigned to me. Okay, if you're still living and breathing, you're not done. Paul was living and breathing, but according to his particular assignment, he was supposed to be the first one to bring the gospel to particular areas. As he explains in verse 20, God assigned him the role and that's, that's why he made it. He says, my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. He's not disparaging building on somebody else's foundation. He's building on someone else's foundation by writing the book of Romans. He told us in the first chapter, he wants to go to Rome in order to have some fruit among them. It's okay for Paul to do that. What he's telling us is that that's not the primary thrust of his individual assignment. He's supposed to be breaking new ground. That's his role. Building on someone else's foundation, that's what we do whenever we edify one another. That is our assignment in gospel ministry toward believers. But just as Paul had also this assignment to share Christ with those that don't yet know him, he's telling us this aspect of his ministry because we all 
share that. We share a responsibility to present the gospel to those who don't know Christ. Paul says, I make it my ambition to do that. I am eager to share the gospel. We come up a little bit short of that description, don't we? Could that be a matter of prayer? God, would you help me to be eager? Would you help me today to make it my ambition to share the gospel with those I come in contact today? All of that would then help fulfill God's plan. Paul reaches back to Isaiah. Isaiah 52, 15, when he says, As it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. There's the ambition of gospel ministry toward those who don't know Christ. It's God's plan. And he's assigned to you a role. Won't be planting churches, likely. May God call some of our people to plant churches. But there are unsaved people all around us. Yesterday, one of our members was relating to me a a recent gospel ministry opportunity. In the course of his daily work, he strives to develop a relationship with those that come into his office, leading to opportunities many times to to point those people to Christ. One of those clients uh, died this summer, And his family, knowing the relationship that had uh, developed between our member and their family member, uh, and knowing also his Christian testimony, asked if he would participate in the funeral service. So he agreed to that. They asked if he would lead in prayer. Okay? And uh, inquiring, he found out that uh, who else is going to be doing it? Well, the others are just going to be sharing their thoughts Uh, And he realized he was, in leading in prayer, going to be the only religious aspect of that service. So he said, well, would it be okay if I read some scripture too? One of the family members said, oh, there would be some people that wouldn't be pleased with that. And another one said, oh, well, go ahead. You say what you want to. And he said, well, I, I, I keep a little gospel message prepared for unexpected opportunities like that. Some unsaved people, even some that maybe didn't want to hear, were in a position where they had to hear the gospel. Being faithful in such gospel opportunities needs to be our ambition. We rejoiced this past Wednesday at prayer meeting to hear of, of uh, several 
that have recently come to Christ uh, through the ministry of our church and our family, church family members. But every instance of faithfully sharing the gospel is also a cause for rejoicing. Besides your own daily contacts, you could consider joining our Tuesday afternoon Good News Club. We have room for a few more team members for that ministry. It'll be starting up next month. You could join our ESL ministry, uh, going to be resuming uh, this fall. Opportunity to use your English language skills, and you've got them. You've got enough to present the gospel to others. Gospel ministry includes all God's people, pointing unsaved people to Christ and helping believers become more like Christ. It's not sufficient to let that just happen by accident. The Lord is ready to help you participate in both if you'll ask for that help. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you for extending the gospel ministry to us at some point in the past that resulted in faith in Christ. Thank you for the growth that you have promoted in our lives since then. We pray, Father, that that would continue. We thank you for the assurance that all of your people are already equipped to be useful in your hands, both for sharing the gospel with those who don't know Christ and to present the gospel even further and its expectations and, and the growth opportunity to those who are currently walking with Christ. Father, we pray that by your grace, we would not be shy about fulfilling our role. Instead, Father, help us to be bold. Help us to make it our ambition. Father, would you help us to be faithful? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.